So the passage is from Matthew, and we're reading through from um, chapter 12, from 1 through 21. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. I want to tell you about a TV program I watched with Joe some years back. It's a program called Justified. Justified. It's a program about an American sheriff who was born and raised in America's deep south. He's a rough and ready kind of guy. He's tall and handsome, wears uh, cowboy boots wherever he goes. And uh, he has a 10-gallon hat as well on top of his head. His name is Raylan Givens, but there's a catch. He is very much the black sheep of his family, not because he has gone the wrong side of the law or because of his shady past, but because Raylan is the only one of his family who hasn't. And so uh, being a sheriff and being the black sheep of the family, he's out for one thing and one thing only, which is justice. Doesn't matter if it's his friends or family, people he went to school with or outlaws uh, doing bad things in America's deep south. He's out for justice, but his definition of justice always comes at the end of the barrel of a gun. That's his definition of justice. He's uh, the kind of guy who shoots first and then asks questions later. We've been thinking this month about our misconceptions and our understanding of who God is. 
Often we think that God is out to get us. Often we think that God has a clipboard and he's marking our performance. He's uh, assessing us like some heavenly Ofsted. But where Ofsted wants us to improve, our heavenly Ofsted wants us to fail. And then he wants to mark us down when we have good days, which are few and bad days, which are many. We get a cross against our name. So we've gone to the book of Hebrews last week to see that Jesus is our great high priest. He's our, our intercessor. More about that next week. And we've gone to the Gospel of Matthew to see how is God described? How is God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ? Because God's heart says the Bible has come down to us in Jesus. We don't need to be in any doubt, but all our misconceptions and all our misunderstanding do great damage to our perception of who God is. Because the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament describe God in this way. God is slow to anger. He is rich in mercy. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's a God who forgives our sins in the past, and he's a God who is patient and a God who is loving. He's a God who is kind and merciful and tender towards his people. So we need to take that image of the clipboard and, and discard it and throw it away. God has sympathy towards us. We thought about this last week from Hebrews 4 and 5. God has sympathy towards us in our suffering, and God even has sympathy towards us as we sin. And this is not just New Testament, this is Old Testament as well. So on the screen, you can see a passage from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 says this. It's a passage that described God's interaction with his people in the Old Testament. And Ephraim is another name for God's people Israel. God's people have turned their back on him. They've rejected him. They've worshipped a substitute in his place. And yet God says this, is not Ephraim, Israel, my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Did you get that? In spite of all Ephraim, Israel have done, in spite of all the heartache that they've caused God, God has disciplined them out of love because he wants to draw them back to his heart. He does not want to cast them off. He doesn't mark them down. He pursues them with his love. And in discipline, he wants to change their heart and draw them back. His heart of discipline goes out to his people in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament and today as well. God's heart is for us, not against us. And how we think about God always shapes how we treat other people. Our theology, our view of God functionally will always shape and affect how we deal with other people. The Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 are a great example of that. The Pharisees did not see God as tender and kind and merciful. The Pharisees saw God as harsh, not tender. He was a God of power. He was a God of great standards of purity and justice. He was a God who used his might and power like a hammer. He was a God, therefore, that they interpreted, who was a God who was harsh and demanding of his people. And because they saw God who was harsh and demanding this, this made them view people 
in a harsh and demanding way. They, uh, the Pharisees wield God's law like a hammer. They, they included their own traditions and own beliefs and own interpretations. They built it like a fence around God's law so that anyone who transcended or crossed their law, they looked down upon them. They, the Pharisees were a people who were quick to condemn anyone who broke their law, their interpretations, their traditions, even before they got to crossing God's standards and God's law. The Pharisees were quick to administer their own version of justice for anyone who crossed their lines. They were like Raylan Givens. They condemned first and then asked questions later. Because the boundaries that they put in place were not God's laws. And so they were getting hotter and hotter under the collar as they saw Jesus interacting with people. Verse 13, they got so hot under the collar in Matthew chapter 12 when they saw what Jesus did on the Sabbath. I mean, who does Jesus think he is? We looked at this passage a few weeks ago that they conspired to kill him. Matthew 12 verse 13 tells us that. So Jesus was always confronting the Pharisees because they were misrepresenting, misunderstanding the heart of God. They misunderstood the law of God. And so they were conveying a wrong, not accurate perception of who God was. They were misrepresenting God. And there's nothing worse to do. Do you see the person who believes wrongly about God? How we view God, how we perceive God, how we understand God, rightly or wrongly, will always impact how we treat other people. The Pharisees thought that God was a meticulous lawmaker. And so anyone who broke God's law, they quickly condemned. They were fault finders. They were law keepers and lawmakers. And they saw obedience to God as the most important thing. And that has shaped their posture towards God. How you view God's heart, Matthew chapter 12, will always shape your posture towards other people. If you expect God to be harsh, then you will be harsh towards other people. If you know and understand that God is kind and rich in mercy and tender, then you should be tender towards other people. Because Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He did not come in for that purpose. Jesus entered the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came to reveal God's heart. And Matthew 12 verses 15 to 21 shows that very, very clearly. It shows us once again who Jesus is. He's not a fault finder. He's not harsh. He's not critical. God is revealed to us. In the heart of Jesus. We see that in Matthew 12, verses 15 to 21. Here's the first point. Back in Isaiah chapter 42, there is a prophecy that God gave to his prophet Isaiah that he would send one, his long awaited king, Messiah would come, God's promised king would come, and this king would make everything wrong right in the world. He would come and he would bring justice, but it would not be at the end of a barrel of a gun like a sheriff from the south of America. This savior king would establish justice and everything wrong would be put right. This one who would come, he was the servant of the Lord. He was the one whom the father delighted in. He's the one who the father would find pleasure in. He's the beloved son of God who had the Holy Spirit bestowed upon him. 
He was anointed to carry out everything that the father wanted him to do. And so verse 20 of Matthew chapter 12, you see that Jesus came not to bring condemnation, but to bring about reconciliation, to rescue the world. Just like that, a delivery driver was rescued from the storm that we spoke about with the children. That's why Jesus came, the long awaited son of God, the anointed son of God, the anointed king has come. And one day he will bring justice in all its fullness. Sin and all its consequences will be dealt with. They will be banished and he will usher in a whole new world. He would rescue those from the nations who call upon his name. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring the kingdom of God, not in all its fullness. That would be in his second coming. But in his first coming, he came to bring a taste of the kingdom of God. He came to bring the justice of God. He came to to right every wrong. He came to mend the brokenhearted and to banish sin wherever he found it. And so the question for the life and ministry of Jesus is, if that's what he came to do, how would he do it? How would he conduct himself? And it's there, this kind of lodestar, this foundational text, Matthew chapter 12, verses 20 to 21. I mean, how did Jesus conduct himself? Was he harsh and demeaning? Was he a fact finder? Was he someone who, I mean, how did he do it? Matthew 12, verses 20 to 21. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. What is this saying? It's saying Jesus is not aggressive. Jesus is not bullying and he's not domineering. He doesn't incite crowds with his words to do something against the political powers. He doesn't argue and he doesn't fight. He doesn't use his force or the strength of his arm or the power of his tongue. That is not the heart of Jesus. He doesn't operate like that. So how does he operate? These two key concepts in that verse are important to meditate on. Verse 20, first of all, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will not snuff out. In other words, Jesus was gentle and he was delicate, even with the most vulnerable and weakest people that he met. Think about that word, a bruised reed he will not break. It's on the screen. A bruised, that word means it's translated in other passages in the Bible as crushed or broken or destroyed. That means bruised. A a reed was used as a pen. If it was cut down, if it was long and straight, it could be used as a measuring rod. It could be used also and fashioned into a musical instrument. It was useful as long as it was sound. It was useful as long as it was straight. But a bent or a broken or a bruised or a contorted reed, it was just discarded. There was no purpose for it. And Jesus takes that image in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 and into 21. And he says, it's not just reeds. It's not just horticulture. It's not just, it's not just things that we use to write with or measure with or make sounds with that I'm talking about. I'm talking about people, says Jesus. There are people whose lives have been broken and bruised and damaged damaged by their own suffering, their own decision-making, and therefore their own sins have caused their lives to be damaged, their hearts to be wounded, their minds to be broken. 
And I will not discard people like that. I will not discard those who have suffered terribly in their lives. I will not discard or cast out or judge or make decisions on people like the Pharisees do. And it got right up their noses. I won't throw people away. I'm not going to snap people into and throw them onto a fire and discard them. I will never do that with people, says Jesus. No, it's my heart, says Jesus. It's the heart of God to take that is broken and to straighten it out. To take that that is damaged and contorted, to take that broken person and to heal them, to take that broken person and restore them, restore their mind, restore them physically. I want to make those people into whole people. That's what Jesus does with broken people. But that's not all. Back to verse 20, a smoldering wick, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. I will not quench. Here's the image. Imagine a faint light, top of a candle, it's a dim light, it's not enough to uh, read by, it's not enough to illuminate a room. It's a flickering wick that's coming to the end of its life. And Jesus says it's not just a reed that's damaged, there's people who are like that too. There's people who are like a candle, a flame that has very little energy. People are like that. There's people, there's people who are barely getting by. There's people who have got no strength left. There's people who have been extinguished by their own suffering and their own sin. And I've come not to snuff them out. I've come, says Jesus, to breathe new life into that person who feels like they've got no energy left. Who feels like they should be discarded. Who feels like they have been discarded. Who feels like there's nothing left to give. I've come to give them life. I've come to restore them. I've come to give them my light and forgiveness and bring them into newness of life and newness of light. Because I'm the light of the world, Jesus says in another part of the New Testament. Jesus is not looking for a fight, verse 15. He's not looking for a fight with the Pharisees. But look at what he does. Jesus, in Matthew 12, verse 15, Jesus withdraws. Many follows him and he heals them all. If you read through the whole Gospel of Matthew, after you've gone out this afternoon and enjoyed the snow, why not come back, make a cuppa, put a candle on, put the heating on, treat yourself, but read the whole of Matthew's gospel. And this is what you find about the person and ministry of Jesus. Jesus, Matthew 12, verse 15, he heals every kind of disease. The whole gospel of Matthew proves that. So Jesus healed the ill and he healed the demonized. Jesus healed those people who were in severe life-altering pain, and he healed the paralyzed. Jesus healed the lame, and he made right the cripple. Jesus gave sight back to the blind, and he made the mute speak again or for the first time. Jesus gave wholeness of life to those who had their lives ravaged by sin, sickness, and Satan, and Jesus healed them all. That's the power of God in the life of Jesus. Sin exhausts us. Sin extinguishes life in us. It weakens us. It breaks us and it burdens us. And Jesus takes that burden upon himself on the cross and offers newness of life, forgiveness, restoration and wholeness. Jesus came to put us right. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering flame he will not snuff out. He came to offer new life, wholeness, restoration, purpose 
through the forgiveness of his life-giving death. But that wasn't the heart of the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not have the heart of Jesus. The Pharisees only looked at external actions. If that's all you see, if you look at people and you just see externals, if you just see the consequences of sin, if you just look at their conduct and behavior, if you can't see people's heart, if you can't see people's conditions, then you share the heart of the Pharisees. That's what this passage challenges us with. If you just look on the outside, not in the inside, if you just see externals, if you just see the if you just see the conduct of people, then you're just like the Pharisees. You're not like Jesus. There was a boy I taught in teaching days who had severe special needs, became a very dear pupil to me. He was easily distracted and he was a great distraction towards other people, even more than when it's snowing outside. He made noises at all the wrong times. He rarely made noises and words at the right time. For comfort, he would put two hands on a hot water pipe that was to the right-hand corner of our classroom. And he'd looked out into the window and he'd look out into the distance. But he knew exactly what was going on. I mean, if you looked at him, if you walked in and looked at me, when younger without silver flecks in my hair, uh, full of beans as a teacher, you would see this boy... And you would see that he didn't have a lot to offer. If you just looked at externals, you would see someone who rocked in his chair for comfort and whose home life was hard. But that boy, for all his externals, that boy, when you look beneath the externals, when you look beneath his conduct, when you looked into his heart, he brought so much to our classroom. He had severe autism, but I was so glad he was part of our class. And he brought a smile, not just to my face, but to everyone else's face every day that he was in our class. Now, Jesus came to bring the gospel to people who didn't just have um, certain external conditions, but brokenness in a whole range of conditions that sin caused in their life. He came to heal those who had every affliction. Matthew 9 verse 35 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, didn't drive them away. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was not like the Pharisees. He saw people. He saw people that God wanted to bring in. He saw people and he felt compassion. This is the, the, the verb that's used to describe the heart of Jesus. He was moved towards people in their lostness and need, in their sin and their suffering. And he responded not by withdrawing like the Pharisees. Don't go and associate with those people. Don't go to Matthew, the tax collector. The heart of God seen in Jesus is to move towards people in suffering and sin, in brokenness and pain. He had compassion on them. He didn't see people as lawbreakers like the Pharisees did. He didn't cast out those people who had questionable professions. He didn't cast out people who were an inconvenience to his agenda. He saw beneath the surface. He saw their need. And his heart went out towards them in compassion. He wanted to be their shepherd. And he's the shepherd that they and we all need. No matter how respectable we look on the outside. No matter how much good we've done in the past week. 
The Pharisees saw people only in their actions and in their conduct. I mean, look at verses 2 to 8 in Matthew 12. Here's a chart for you. In Matthew 2 to 8, the Pharisees saw Jesus' disciples eating grain and breaking the law. But in the same event, Jesus saw people's heart. He saw hunger, not just lawbreakers. Look at chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. I mean, the Pharisees saw Jesus breaking their traditions, their laws, and they saw an opportunity to trap Jesus as he healed a man with a withered hand. Jesus, he saw the man with a a withered hand, someone who society would cast out, someone who was needy and too much of an inconvenience. Jesus saw someone who was worth so much to him and he saw his need. Jesus saw their true condition, and his heart went out to them. He looked beyond externals. I mean, Jesus knew their backstory, and he knows ours too. He knows their pain and ours too. He knows the disappointment in our lives, and his heart flows out towards us in compassion. At the same time, Jesus never, and God never, takes sin lightly. Sin is not a small thing to God. Look at the cross. Look at verse 20. Sin is not a small thing to God. Jesus was sent by God from heaven to earth and to the cross to bring justice to the world, to deal with sin and suffering and all its effects. And he doesn't come to break the power of sin with a magic wand. He comes to destroy its power by offering his life on the cross to ransom a people for his father. He did that in his own body at his first coming and at his return and his second coming. Justice will reign as he's seen in all his power and glory as the majestic son of God that he is. His glory will not be veiled. This is how seriously God takes sin. He will come to punish those who are sinners. He's come to accept those who have turned and trusted in the son whom he loved and who he sent to rescue us from our sin and suffering. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all of the heart of God that is so different from the heart of the Pharisees? At least two points of application. Christians, I want to speak to you. What do we do when we see the heart of God for sufferers and for sinners? What do we do when we see the heart of the Pharisees who just look at their hearts, who just looks at their conduct and Jesus looks at our hearts and our condition and has the power to do something about it? Here is a few points of application. First of all, Christian friend, let the gentleness and compassion of Jesus make us gentle and compassionate. Let the gentleness and compassion of of Jesus make us gentle and compassionate. The gospel shows us that we are all broken. We're all broken reeds. We're all faintly burning brick uh, wicks. And Jesus has shown his compassion to each one of us. Jesus saw us in our sin and in our suffering, and he saved us. He's made us through his son, pleasing in the sight of God. And God has sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts. We've received the gentleness of God in Jesus so that we might show his gentleness and compassion to others. But think for a moment about the 12 disciples. They were with Jesus wherever he went. They saw what he did. They saw Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. 
They saw Jesus weeping over people who were rejecting him. They saw Jesus performing miracles. They saw people healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. They saw people restoring people's bodies to fullness of strength. They saw all these things and more. But this is what it says in Matthew 9. How much of Jesus did they actually see? Matthew 9, verse 51. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead of him, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Here are the disciples who saw all this of the ministry of Jesus and saw his character. And then Jesus gets rejected. And Jesus says, shall we use your force to nuke these people who don't give you the respect and the honor and glory that you deserve? And Jesus says, no, don't you dare do that. I've not come for that. We are living at one of the most polarized time in history. Choose your issue. You can choose Brexit. The struggles still rumble on. You can choose race. You can choose politics. You can choose who's doing the right thing in responding to COVID. Everyone thinks they know what's best. Very few people want to take responsibility. And Christians and non-Christians alike are taking aim at people and calling names. There's lots of heat and very little light. There's lots of noise and very little listening. There's lots of blaming with no one wanting to take responsibility. And this is how many Christians are behaving. Not just people who aren't Christians. Christians are behaving in this way. This passage, Matthew 12, 20 to 21, calls us Christian friends to look again at Jesus. Look at his compassion. Look at the gentleness of Jesus. He had all power and all authority. He didn't choose to show off. He didn't choose to roll up his sleeves and to reveal that he was some sort of heavenly superman. Jesus was gentle and he was compassionate. He was gentle and he was lowly of heart. He was the perfect, anointed, spirit-filled son of God. He lived a perfect life that pleased his father's heart. He was committed to completing the mission of his father. And what does he do? He doesn't scream. He doesn't shout. He doesn't fight. He doesn't assassinate people's character who differ from him. He was so kind and compassionate. He was firm when he needed to be, but he was kind and compassionate to those who wanted to extinguish him. He didn't call fire down from heaven like his disciples wanted to. He was gentle and he was purposeful and yet he was kind. And at this strange time in history when we're so polarized, when we don't see eye to eye with people, what a wonderful opportunity we have, Christians, to mirror the gentleness that we see in the heart and actions of Jesus Christ. So here's a big question for you and for me. In what you text, in what you type, in what you post, in what you write, in what you say, do people experience the gentleness and compassion, the kindness of Jesus? I mean, look at this boat. Imagine a boat 
on a calm, serene lake. Imagine it's Lake Windermere or something like that. Imagine this boat and behind the boat, there is a wake that's caused. It's the only boat, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the only boat that's been on that still lake all day. Wherever a boat goes, there's always a wake that's produced behind it because of the motorized boat and the engine that runs behind it then powers it. But let's stick with the image. Imagine if you were that boat. Imagine you were that boat and you look behind you at the relationships in your life. Have you left damaged and broken people in your life because of your harshness, because of your carelessness with expressing yourself, because of something you've typed on social media that we're always more judgmental rather than grace-filled when we're perhaps in person? It's so easy to be someone we're not online than we are in person. It's so easy to be harsh rather than gentle and someone who's full of grace and truth. How much damage have you and I caused in our lives? Are there people that we need to pick up the phone to and say sorry to even this afternoon? What a wonderful testimony it would be if people who are not Christians would say this of us. I might not believe what they believe, but I've never met a group of people who are so kind, who are so compassionate, who help me out, people who are so gentle. But here's the second thing, not just in what we say. Do we see people as Jesus sees them? Do we see people who are lost and needy? Do we see people who might inconvenience us and so we push them away? We don't answer that text. We just let it slide because they're asking for something. Do we shun away from people who have hard histories? People with histories that are broken and wounded, people that are different from us, People who are lost and needy, Jesus would go after those people. And as people who are Christians, Jesus calls us to put our hands of help out to them as well. We're his hands and feet in the world, to the lost and the needy, to the broken, to the discouraged, to the disheartened, to the downtrodden. And we're not to push them away because they're an inconvenience. One of the signs that we have the heart of Jesus is that we are gentle in what we say, but also compassionate to those in need. Do we see people as Jesus sees them increasingly? Here's a diagnostic question for you. When you and I hear of someone in need, someone whose life is determinedly against God and what he stands for, do you feel anger towards that person? How dare they? They never would. I'm going to turn my back on them and go to someone who I know loves Jesus. Or do you feel compassion towards that person? Is your heart against them in contempt or is it towards them in compassion? But let me close with a, a question for you. If you're exploring Christianity, what would Jesus say to you this morning? If you're exploring Christianity, here's what he might say. It's not your repentance that leads God to be kind to you. It's not your repentance. It's not something you do. It's not a, a work that leads God to be kind to you. It's God's kindness that leads you and me to repentance. God's kindness that leads you and me to repentance. All through the ministry and life of Jesus and everything he said and did, we see that Jesus is bringing people into his kingdom. And one day it will come in all its fullness and in all its glory. And Jesus right now is inviting you and me 
into his kingdom. If you don't know him, you'll be invited by Jesus into his kingdom for the first time, even this morning. Come to him. Receive his forgiveness. He's not pushing you away. His arms are wide open for you. He's offering forgiveness that was established at the cross of Jesus as he died, not for the mistakes, but for the sins, the willful rebellion that you and I have of not wanting to come under the loving rule of his father. But Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and to make a new and living way available into the forever family that God will be at the head and heart of and into a kingdom that will never be shaken. You can bring to him all your past mistakes, all your failures, all your wrongdoings. He will not crush you. He will not see if you measure up because none of us will. He will never push you away. Jesus waits for you to come to him today. That's the promise of the gospel. His arms wide open for you. But one day, Matthew 12, verse 20 to 21 says, Jesus will return, not with arms wide open. He will return to shatter the nations like pottery. He will return with a shout of victory and with the, the might and majesty and the strength of his arm for all kingdoms and kings to see. And every nation and kingdom of this world will be brought under and become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So the invitation is for you today in the beauty of a snowy surrounding to come to him afresh, to turn from trusting in your own self-reliance and to turn and trust him who is gentle and lowly, turn and trust him who is tender towards us who are sinners, turn towards him who is the friend of sinners, turn towards him who is the sympathetic high priest of sinners and rebels like you and me. And Christians, let's pray that we become just a little bit more like him in what we say, that our relational wake would get smaller. So we're known as people of gentleness and kindness and compassion. And also we have a heart and an eye out for those who are needy and lost. Not a heart to turn the other way and to shut the door on them, but a heart like Jesus's with arms wide open, wanting to offer God's compassion to them.